Well, it's good to see you today. I hope that you've had a great Thanksgiving weekend with family and friends in Turkey that makes you want to take a nap and all of that good stuff. This one lady went on a Black Friday shopping trip for Christmas gifts, and uh, she came home, and she noticed that her front door was open, and it scared her really badly because she thought that she had locked the door when she left, and so she didn't even go inside. She called the police. They came, and they went inside, and the house was just ransacked. I mean, everything was just a total mess. The drawers were open. Clothes were on the floor. Everything was just an absolute wreck. And the officer then told her to come in and said, look around and see if anything is missing. And she looked and looked and came back and said, I don't see anything missing. And uh, he said, well, it's obvious that someone was in here, broke in here, because look at the way the house looks. She says, you don't understand, officer. It looked like that before I went shopping. <laughs> and the officer said, well, I have a theory. I believe someone did break in, but they got in here, and they were so confused over the mess, they just gave up and left, you know. <laughs> Maybe we can identify with that a little bit on these, these crazy weekends. But it's so good to be with you today, to have the opportunity to teach again. Um, during this last nine months, I've been doing an interim at Beverly Hills Baptist Church in East Asheville, but it's been a blessing because they're so close. Uh, Ann and I were able to come and enjoy the first service during the whole time. Then we would slip out and go over there. So now it'll be great to be here for both services today. Maybe I'll meet someone in the second service that I actually know. Because uh, it's, it's just like amazing how many new people have come. And, and that's, that's beautiful and it's wonderful. But it's so good to be with you today. Um, so we're in a two-part series, just a short one, big questions. And uh, last week, Chris dealt with the question of uh, how do I know that I'm saved? How, how can I know that I'm saved? And it's really uh, amazing how God arranges these things to connect with people who are in desperate need because people came up to Chris after the service last week and said this was the number one question on my mind as I walked through the doors today. I just really didn't know and now I have a strong sense of a 100% assurance that uh, I'm saved you know first John 5 13 uh, says uh, these things have I written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life we can know it is possible to know and so what are these things if he wrote these things so that they could know and what we see in the book of 1 John is that uh, it's a series of uh, uh, evidences for the genuine faith. And uh, it kind of goes in a circular motion, but the same, there's three evidences for those who have a genuine faith uh, in Christ and who can know for sure that they're saved. And those evidences come up over and over and over again in the book of 1 John. The first one is the test of truth. 1 John 1.8 says uh, that we have our belief that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Do we believe that truth? Have we transferred our trust from what we've done to what Christ did for us? And we truly believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Second one is a test of obedience. 1 John 2.3, he says, 
Uh, we know we belong to him because we obey his commandments. He who does not obey, obey his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, there, if you go through the Gospels, Jesus gives over 320 different commands in the Gospels. And so, uh, how do I know if I'm obeying all of those commands uh, so that I can know that I'm saved? Because obviously, it's not about what we do. It's about faith in, in the grace of God. Uh, but all those commands, it's not like making a, a, a list and checking that list off every day to make sure that I'm obeying all the commands of Christ in order to know that I'm saved. But Jesus gave us uh, one big one, uh, the great commandment, to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, if you'll just do that, you'll obey all the other commands. Love God and love people. And so that's an evidence that we truly have been saved. That's not what saves you. It's an evidence that you have been saved is you have a desire to obey the commands of Christ. If you don't have a desire to obey the commands of Christ, you don't have assurance of salvation. And then the third one is a test of love. 1 John 3, 14 says, I, We know we belong to him because we love the brethren. He who does not love the brethren abides in death. And the truth is not in him. Now that's, that's a haunting verse for me. Because of all of the people who I know who would profess to be Christians, but they're totally disconnected from the brethren. The brethren is the church. There's no interest in the church. There's no desire to be a part of the church. And yet they say they believe in Jesus. Now I'm not saying going to church saves you. Going to church, being a part of the church is an evidence that you love the bride of Christ. How can you say you love Jesus if you don't love his bride? If you tell me you love me, but you can't stand my wife, we're going to have problems. And he who would have God as his father must have the church as his mother, Augustine said. And so this is a big deal. And, and uh, we have to... Think about the people that we know, our loved ones who may profess Christ, but they're outside of fellowship. And I think it's important to go to them and say, look, look at this verse. This is, this, is, this is serious. There's a big question here. I'm not saying that you're not saved, but if you're not interested in being a part of a family of God, then you can't have an assurance of that salvation. Only God knows whether you're truly saved or not. So that's a big deal. But once we look at that and see that, you know, Jesus promised in John 10, he said, I give you the gift of eternal life. My sheep know me. They hear my voice. I give you the gift of eternal life. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. And my father and I are one, and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. That's the gift of eternal life. He didn't, we didn't, we didn't earn it, and we can't take it away. He gave it to us. So those are beautiful promises. But today we're looking at a second question, and that is now that I know that I have my eternal life, how then should I live my life? And I want to give you a short answer to that question. We should live our lives as we be, as we are, and as we do what it means to be a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ. Now, some people might not like to use that terminology. It's not a term that's usually used in our culture today. But, you know, in every industry, 
there is a new glossary of terminology. If you're an electrical engineer, you're going to know words that I don't know. And if you're a Christian and you're in the Christian faith, you're going to learn terms and you're going to live out terms that are different than what the world and the culture around you says. And so I like the word disciple. You can use the word follower if you want to or the word Christian if you want to, but, but that's what we're talking about is a disciple of Christ. Now, I want you to look at a verse in Acts, if you will. Bring that up if you can. Yeah. Acts chapter 11, 26. It says, In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now the question is, would you call yourself a Christian or a disciple? And is there any difference between a Christian and a disciple? And the answer is no. The disciples were called Christians, but you have to be a disciple before you can be called a Christian. In fact, the term Christian is only used one time in the Bible, and that's in this verse. But the term disciple is used 226 times in the Scriptures. Now, you can use whatever term is uh, uh, most effective for you uh, to, to describe yourself, but I like the word disciple. And I want us to look at the Great Commission uh, because this is where we get our marching orders for what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Greek construction, Greek grammatical construction is more detailed and more accurate than even English construction is. But in this verse, if you go to the Greek construction, you'll see there's only one verb in this verse, and that's the word mathetusate, and that means make disciples. That's it. And then there's three participles. Now, in English, a participle would be a word that ends with ing, and so as you are intentionally going, baptizing, and teaching, make disciples. Make disciples. That's the one thing that he told us to do when he left. So how are we going to know if we are disciples and if we're making disciples? There's a beautiful verse that I want us to look at in the book of Mark. Let's go to there. This, um, I mean, Matthew 4, uh, verse, starting with verse 18. Now, I just want you to know up front, Jesus was a genius. We all know that. He was God, right? But this is amazing because he calls these two fishermen to come and follow him, but in his call, he defines for them what they will become. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So in this calling, he defined for them what they would become. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me is relational, a relationship with Jesus. I will make you into something. That's transformational, and fishers of men is missional. 
So out of this verse, we can find a great definition for what a disciple is. Now, this is a definition that we have actually adopted uh, as our definition because think about this for a moment. If you owned a manufacturing company and your product was smartphones and you went to the end of the assembly line and you didn't see smartphones coming off the end of the assembly line, then you would be in some other business. And so every company that makes smartphones, they have to have a prototype, an example, a model that they go by. And the business of a church, the product of a church, is multiplying disciples of Christ. This is what ought to be coming off of the assembly line of New Life Community Church. And if it's not, then we are in some other business. So let's look at this definition together. A disciple is someone who is following Christ. That's the relational element. Who is being changed by Christ. That's the transformational element. And who is committed to the mission of Christ. This is our definition of what a disciple is. This is the end product of New Life Community Church, or it certainly should be. Now, as you think about this definition and you think about your life, does your life measure up to what a multiplying disciple of Christ is? Are you following Christ in relationship to him? Are you allowing him to change you one issue, one circumstance, one thing at a time, and are you on mission with Jesus? That's the question we have here. So as we look at this, I want to break it down a little bit. And first of all, I want us to look at this relational element of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, in the relational element, we're seeing that we're, our goal is to move from religion to relationship. I was talking with one guy. He was very interested in converting me from evangelical Christianity into Catholicism. And we were talking back and forth, and, <clears throat> and I said, what is it that you see when you go into your church every Sunday? Uh, what do you see up on the wall? And he said, I see uh, a cross with Jesus hanging on that cross. I said, that's right. Now, what I'm encouraging you to do is to get Jesus off of the cross and into your heart. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And so we see the importance of this. Now, what does it mean for us to be in relationship with Jesus? Well, first of all, in order to walk in relationship, that relationship has to get started. It has to be established. Have you established a true relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to do that? Well, it means that we come to a place of realizing that we need to transfer our trust from what we have done, both good and bad, over to what Christ did for us and who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, in thinking about who Jesus is, we first of all come to a place of understanding that he is the infinite Son of God, holy God, holy man. And in his deity, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he performed miracles, he taught the greatest lessons the world has ever heard, some of the greatest literary critics in the world have said that the parable of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son, is the greatest short story that has ever been written. He taught the greatest lessons the world has ever been. But then there's something that he did. He, he picked up a cross, and he walked down the Via Della Rosa, 
And in walking down the Via Della Rosa, he laid, willingly laid his hands and feet on the cross. He said, no man takes my life from me. I give it freely. And he allowed them to nail his hands and feet to the cross. And he died a sacrificial death. And it was, it was obvious that his goal was to shed his blood and see his body broken so that we could be forgiven, so that we could enter into a relationship with God. And by that death of Christ, if we transfer our trust to what he's done for us, he takes away some things. He takes away grief. He takes away regret. He takes away remorse. He takes away guilt. He takes away shame. Imagine the, the idea of everything you regret about your past. The slate is actually wiped clean. And you can stand before God, holy, clean before him, wrapped in his robe of righteousness, actually being able to say, I am the righteousness of Christ. What an incredible thing. I could not look myself in the mirror if it wasn't for what Jesus did for me on the cross. And then not only did he take away some things, he added some things. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us freedom from the pain of the past. He gave us the wonderful gift of inner healing. He gave us all kinds of blessings. We're, we're, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings because of that. But not only did he die on the cross, he rose from the grave three days later. And as I trust in what he did when that, in that resurrection, Jesus got a new life, he offers us a new life. And that new life that he offers us is Christ in you as the hope of glory. The spirit of Christ, when we receive him and trust in what he did for us, he got a new life, he gives us a new life. He breathes the breath of spiritual life into our souls. And we are spiritually born again. And now we have the Spirit of Christ in us as the hope of glory. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had no more access to the Holy Spirit than you do. But he could do anything and everything God wanted him to do. Why? Because he was drawing upon the presence and power of the Spirit of Christ in him. That's what it means to establish that relationship with God. But then we move on to uh, what does it mean to be in relationship with him, being with Jesus in relationship. Mark 3.14 says, And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Now, this is so simple. He called them so that they would just be with him. No notebook, no five-inch notebook, 12-week uh, course. No filing cabinet, no degrees. Just be with me. Hang out with me for the next three and a half years. And that's what they did 24-7. They walked together. They ate together. They built fires together. They slept around those fires. They were together 24-7. And they watched Jesus. Be with him. What does it mean for us to be with Jesus? It means that we walk with him in constant fellowship. I'm glad you're here this morning, but what is your relationship with Jesus going to be like at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon? Are you going to be thinking about him? Is he, is he, are you going to be aware of his presence in your life? Now, another way to think about being in relationship is abiding in Christ. John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself 
unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to just live in Christ. For every one verse that talks about Jesus being in me, there are ten verses that talk about me being in Christ. It's so important. And so, what does it mean for me to be in Christ, to abide in Christ? It means that I live my life constantly aware of his presence and power inside of me. And, I, and I'm living with that constant uh, desire to know him and walk in him. Now, to abide in Christ, we have to be aware of his constant presence. That means every day should start off with connecting deeply with God. How can I walk in the Spirit if I haven't started out in the Spirit? And so that time that we have alone with God every day is not legalistic. It's not that I should read my Bible, I should pray, I should do this. No, I get to enter into deep connection and fellowship with my Father every morning. And then from throughout the day, now that I've connected deeply with Him, I can walk in the Spirit. I can walk in that fellowship with Him. So in order for us to start out our day with Him, we need a time, we need a place, and we need a plan. What is your time, your place, and plan to connect deeply with God? If you just get out of bed and throw your clothes on and run off to work, then you're on your own. Not connected to your father. You're missing your whole purpose in life because why did God create us? To walk in fellowship with Him. If we're not connected to him, how can we know that we're even close to fulfilling our purpose even though we may be punching the clock and working 40 hours a week? So how do we get started in that? My, my time is as soon as I wake up. I have, a coffee, I have coffee with God every morning. And my place is the kitchen table. It's quiet, it's early, no one around. And my plan has been different over the years. There was a 20-year period in which I read through the one-year Bible every year for 20 years. I had it so marked up, and, and, and so it was just falling apart. I took it to get rebound, and they said they wanted $130 to rebound it. So I thought, well, I think I'll try something else. <laughs> well, I, that's a great plan. And you could say, well, Steve, you're bragging about reading through the Bible every year. Really? Bragging about reading through the Bible in a year is like bragging about eating three meals every day. Why would we brag about that? It's just nourishment. We get physically nourished. We need to get spiritually nourished. My plan now is to read one chapter a day. I've got bookmarks in four places. Old Testament, Psalm, Proverbs, and New Testament. Start in Genesis, Psalm 1, Proverbs 1, Matthew 1, and I just read a chapter a day. One, one day it's in the Old Testament, the next day it's in the Psalms, next day it's in the Proverbs, next day it's in the New Testament. And I like a study Bible and because it has a lot of notes that uh, answer obvious questions that come up. And so that's my plan. What is your plan? How are you going to connect with God deeply? And then the question is, what does it mean? Why, why will it make a difference in your life if you read your Bible every day? Reading your Bible every day is like a time-release capsule. You never know when you're going to need it. It releases itself when it's needed. And so you've got your, his word hidden in your heart. And then a circumstance comes up and you need wisdom immediately. 
Because you have his word hidden in your heart, you can draw from that wisdom that you've learned through the scriptures, and he will give you the wisdom that you need. What good does it do to ask God for wisdom if you're not taking advantage of the wisdom that's already available to you in his word? And so we never know when we're going to need the word of God, but it's available to us when we hide it in our hearts. My son Luke was serving in the army, and he was on the... Uh, DMZ zone between North and South Korea and he was on guard duty they put him out on guard duty one night he was standing on the bank of a river it was zero degrees the wind was blowing off of the river he thought he was going to freeze to death and he's pacing back and forth just to try to keep his feet from going numb and try to keep from freezing to death and in the midst of that misery that he knew he would have to endure all night long he started thinking about back about his years that he spent here going through Awana, memorizing Bible verses every week. And he started thinking about those Bible verses, and they came back to him, and he started reciting those Bible verses that he had learned in Awana, and he said that was what got him through that night. We never know when we're going to need the Word of God, but we need to connect with him deeply and then walk with him all day, every day, in fellowship, lifting up popcorn prayers all day long to him, aware of his presence. Now, there's a second element to being a disciple and that is that he says I will make you that's transformational how do we get transformed how do we how can we become changed so that we actually become more like Jesus let's look at Romans 12 therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect this is how we are transformed by the renewing of our mind the battle is always in the mind I had a computer professor at Western Carolina when I was going there. The first thing he said to our class was, computer doesn't make mistakes, garbage in, garbage out. You put garbage into your mind, you're going to get garbage out of your mind. You put good stuff in it, you'll get good stuff out. So as we are spending this time in the Word, as we are gaining wisdom, we begin to discover principles and purposes for living life God's way. Your Bible is an instruction manual for living. It's your owner's manual. God created you, and he, when you came into this world, he gave, he gave you a Bible to live by as your instruction manual, your owner's manual. And if you read through the Bible, and if you follow the principles of wisdom throughout the Bible, you're going to have the best life anyone can have on this earth because God created you. He knows what works, what doesn't work, and he tells you what works and doesn't work in the Scriptures. So we begin to discover principles and purposes for living, his life, living life his way in every area of our lives. There's no area of your life that the Scripture doesn't speak to. So think about all these different areas, your marriage, parenting, your job, your career, your finances, your political views, your involvement in church, even your recreational life. The scripture has something to say about that. So if you could take all of those different areas of your life and find all the verses that relate to those areas and live that out, you would have the best life anyone can live. That's, that's God's plan. 
But then what we see is we have to allow the gospel to work its way through our hearts every day. The gospel is the gift that keeps on giving. The gospel is not the diving board into the Christian life. Uh, it is, uh, the, the gospel is the water that you're diving into. It's everything. We never, ever, ever leave the gospel. We just allow the gospel to continue working and transforming us every day. So the first part of the gospel is, is design it, how God designed us with all these creative purposes and principles to live life his way. Then we move to the fact and the reality that we haven't done it. We've fallen short of his glory. We've fallen short of his purposes. And so whatever I discover about my life that doesn't line up with what Scripture says about how I should live that particular area of my life out, I have to come to God in brokenness, confession, repentance and faith and a willingness to walk in obedience and trust God to change me from the inside out and there is no other way there's no shortcut around that for transformation and change we have to allow God to break us and come to that place of confession then we can run to the cross the third part of the gospel restoration and through that cross as I wrap my arms and legs around the cross and trust him and confess then he will forgive me for why I haven't lived my life according to his purposes and plans in scripture and he will forgive me and restore me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and allow me a new start every day then I move on to the power of the resurrection that's part of the gospel and in the power of the resurrection what I'm realizing is okay this is the way I need to live now you've put the presence and power of the Spirit of Christ inside of me. Now I have what the strength that I need. I have what I need to trust you to empower me to repent and to live the way you want me to live. And then I can, now I can go back to those creative purposes and principles. I can actually live my life out the way you, you call me to. That's transformation. And when I do that, one circumstance, one issue at a time, God begins changing me. He begins transforming me is I just choose to go through and let the gospel work its way through my heart. And something miraculous happens in me. We see it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? That's how you're transformed from one glory to the next as you deal with one issue in your life to the next and allow God to take the gospel through your heart and then as you see these things and you begin walking in obedience trusting the power of Christ in you to obey and, and live out these purposes and principles your life is going to be changed you don't have to look in the mirror and say how much have I changed this year just keep following Jesus just let the gospel work its way through your heart every day and you will be changed Maybe someone will come up to you two years from now and say, wow, you're a lot different than you were two years ago. We don't have to worry about that. Just focus on letting the gospel do its work. And then there's a third part to this, and that is being fishers of men, missional. God has called us to be on mission with him. We are fishers of men. He said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. A plus B equals C. If you're not a fisher of men then are you really following Jesus because that is the outcome of someone who's truly following Jesus they will be a fisher of men that's what we're called to be and do so we see the beauty of this we see that that we're called guess what newsflash evangelism is not a spiritual gift 
There were evangelists that God gave to the church, but they were leaders and they were there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The evangelist is there to equip the members of the church to do the work of evangelism to be witnesses for Christ. And so we see the beauty of that in, in uh, being missional, being on mission with him. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to, to, see, to become what I would call an Acts 1-8 Christian. Let's look at Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This is what he's called us to. I love this because it's such a beautiful picture for what it means for each one of us to be a world Christian and also it's a great strategy for a church to adopt. There are four geographic locations that this mentions. Jerusalem is local. Judea is national. Samaria is cross-cultural. Samaria was close by but it was a totally different culture. And then the remotest parts of the earth is global. So the question is, what does it mean for us to be an Acts 1-8 Christian? Well, first of all, we have to start with local. God has planted us here. This is our home. This is our first mission field. The light that shines farthest shines brightest close to home. How can you have a passion and a love for India or some other country but no concern for your neighbor who lives across the street. God has called us to go across the street and around the world. How do we do this? How do we reach our own community? Well, New Life is deeply involved in all kinds of local partnerships and ministries. But the best way we can do it is for each one of us to take out our cell phone, open up your contact list, Write down the names of every person on your contact list that is outside of a relationship with Christ who lives in this area and make that part of your prayer list every day. Begin praying for them and invest into their lives and then invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them into a spiritual conversation. They are, I already know who the best prospects are for New Life Community Church and they're the people in your cell phone contact list because you have a relationship with them and a trusted relationship. So let's not, let's not forget that part. But then we go on to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. What a blessing to be a part of a church that has a missions pastor. Not too many churches have the resources to be able to have a full-time missions pastor. Now, I love all of our staff. They're all absolutely essential to make all of this work. But I'm so grateful and blessed that God has sent Rodney Howell to focus on mission, a missions pastor, to help us become an Acts 1-8 church. Now, once you move beyond your local area, then when it comes to national, intercultural, and international, it's all about strategic partnerships. We need strategic partnerships. And in these partnerships, we are learning about them we're connecting with them in relationship missionaries we are uh, giving to them we're praying for them and then when there are opportunities we go and we help them and as we go and help them we have that great opportunity to then move beyond and be a part of that mission ourselves as a church because of Rodney having been with us he spends his time 
look rodney is not your representative to missions rodney is your tour guide rodney puts opportunities together for us to go and be on mission as a church we have national partnerships we have local partnerships national partnerships intercultural partnerships and international partnerships we have national partnerships waynesville church plant there gateway church washington dc you just heard from daniel a couple of weeks ago myrtle beach south carolina new church being planted there we have these partnerships nationally and then we have intercultural partnerships we've been working with source of life church just up the street for years who's a slavic church eastern european 5,000 slavics in buncombe county and we've had incredible opportunities to minister with them and then international partnerships egypt czechoslovakia turkey and this summer we're looking at opening up a new mission partnership in costa rica this will be a great opportunity for anyone to go on, a, on an entry-level mission trip. So, get your passports updated. If Rodney announces an opportunity to go on a mission trip, don't assume that you shouldn't go unless God shows you that you should go. Why don't you assume that you should go unless God specifically shows you that you shouldn't go? We are a church on mission. When you're a full uh, uh, world Christian then it broadens your horizons beyond your little television shows and mowing your grass on Saturday, and it broadens and opens up the whole world. And we can have that same heart that God has of seeing the whole world come to be on mission with him. So as we look at this and close, just let me ask you, are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Are you in deep relationship with him? Are you allowing him to change you day by day as you lay your life before him and actually beg him to show you things that are not consistent with his will? And are you willing to make those changes by trusting him to empower you to change? And are you on mission with Jesus, seeking to win your friends to Christ, seeking to be a world Christian? In this room, there are two kinds of people. There are missionaries and mission fields. If you're a believer, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower, then you're a missionary. If you're not, then you're a mission field, and I invite you to Jesus today. If you're ready to receive him, pray with me now. Jesus, I've heard this definition of a disciple, and I just thank you that you've given me a clear picture and understanding of what you want me to become. I know my life doesn't measure up, and I really want to, I want to be on the team. I've been kicking the tires of Christianity for a long time, but I'm ready to step in today and become a fully devoted follower and disciple of Christ. I see the clear picture before me, and I know I can't do it in my own strength, but you've said that the Spirit of Christ would come into me, and in his power and presence, he would empower me to do everything he wants me to do, and I'm going to trust you for that. So I confess my sin. I trust in the cross. I trust in the resurrection. I follow you today. I make my stand with you. For those that are already believers, Lord, there may be something that I've seen this morning that doesn't line up with what a real disciple is. Convict me. Show me how I can step out in obedience to you. In your name I pray. Amen.